come to know the mystery of your life. Help us to worship you, one God in three persons, by proclaiming and living our faith in you. Grant this through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. So as we start, I want to invite you to take a peek at this packet. We're not going to make it through the whole thing today. If you're wondering, how in the world are we doing this? Um, We may get through all of it by next week. I don't know. Um, But just I wanted you to spend a, a moment looking at that big image on the first page. What do you see? What do you notice? I wish it were in color, but I'd have to print the whole packet in color, and all of it's just in black and white except that. So what do we notice? Christ on the cross, spirit above, and who's holding up? A giant God. What's that? What's, tell, tell me about God. Something's going on. We've got something on his head. Beautiful, ornate crown. He's king. We have a stole. Is it a jewel? Where's the jewel? Oh. Hold on. Oh, right there? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the dove's tail. So the dove oh. here above the cross, that's the tail. And then what's, what's in between God's feet underneath the cross? Death, some skull, right? I saw this image for the first time, or this, I, I didn't even know this was a thing. I was in New York at a muse, uh, Bible museum several years ago and saw this, and I was just so struck by this because it really encapsulates how um, the Trinity works together, right? Um, and before we uh, get into anything else, there's a few quotes here then at the right of this picture that I want, to, I want us to meditate on for a few moments. The first comes from... Gregory of Nazianzus, who says, To the best of my powers, I will persuade all people to worship Father, Son, and Holy Spirit as the single Godhead and power, because to him belong all glory, honor, and might forever and ever. Amen. So that's from Gregory, one of the early church fathers. Then uh, several centuries later, we get Julian of Norwich, who says, When I saw the cross, I saw the Trinity. Where Jesus appears, the blessed Trinity is understood. The Trinity filled my heart full of the greatest joy, and I understood that it will be so in heaven without end. And then Robin Perry, who you probably don't know, he's a modern uh, writer uh, who I refer to several times throughout this uh, document. He writes that Jesus is in heaven right now. Worshipping and praying to the Father. Christian worship is nothing more nor less than the Spirit enabling us to join with Christ's worship of the Father. Hmm. Okay. Any reflections on these few quotes? Anything we want to, well, I've never thought of it that way. Or, wow, I really disagree with that. Greg?
great. Without the Spirit, we can't reach to either. I love that. Great. Thank you. <laughs> Catherine? Yeah. More separation okay. than than relationship between the two. Mm-hmm. More separation. If you're worshiping, can you not have relationship? Well, um, it seems weird to talk about God worshiping God's self. Aha. Uh-huh. Yes. Yeah. And so then thinking about it in those terms i feel like it creates it creates a separation or or just something is counterintuitive to that right. for me yeah and so there's this sense and uh that's a great a, a deep dive into the whole topic right because there's this sense that within the topic of the trinity that god is one but god is three and something we'll talk about over the next few weeks is that we constantly have to realize that it's like a clock pendulum right we have to allow it to swing back and forth on its own. And sometimes we'll talk about the unity of God. Sometimes we'll talk about the Trinity of God three, right? Right. It wasn't God, the father who came to earth and was, was nailed to the cross. It was Jesus, the son. And it, it wasn't the Holy spirit that, that was nailed to the cross. The Holy spirit was poured out on Pentecost, not Jesus, the son. So there's different, there's, there's distinction, but there's unity. And that's, that's, why we have the word Trinity, right? Triunity, um, Trinitatis. That's, um, so I'm not going to, I don't think you had a question. I think you just said you were yes. comments. So, um, but I, I hope, I hope that we'll swing around back to, to talking about that. And if we don't, uh, let me know. But, um, We've seen this uh, beginning of last year, we saw this PowerPoint slide as we talked about the Bible progression of theology. Uh, And we'll talk about this in the next 10 or 15 minutes. Um, Who to worship? How many gods do we have? Um, Just very broadly. Um, Actually, before this even, let's let's just talk generally. What do we know about the Trinity? We've talked a little bit about it here in these 10 minutes. What do we know? What have we heard? Um, what do we think about the Trinity? Go. You know, one thing about this, I don't see, I don't understand the him, Christ worshiping God. That's his son. You know, you don't worship your son and vice versa. Well, the, in, that, in that quote from Robin Perry, it's, it's Jesus worshiping the father. Okay, he wouldn't, you wouldn't do that either. I mean, well, do you, did you worship your father? Well, you can look up to your father, right? In human terms, you can look up to, you can idolize, you can see you as a mentor or a model. But worship is a much bigger jump. Agree, agree. But also, the metaphor of father and son are just that. They're just metaphors. So when we start to say, we as human, you know, I as a son don't worship my father, and therefore, Jesus' as son can't worship his father. That's, that's a false equivalency. We can't do that. Because Jesus, God the Father and God the Son, we use those terms to describe the relationship between them. But that's not, they're not human. So we can't impose our human understanding of relationship upon their relationship. Okay. There's more going on. But, but also, I don't pray to my father. Jesus prayed to his father. 
right? There was this sense of communion and unity between them that I don't have with my own father. There's something more going on, right? So, but you're, you're, you're really hitting the, there, there's a lot here. This is, this is a hard topic. Trinity is hard, but important to delve into. Any other thoughts, questions? How have we heard Trinity explained? What do we think about it? Have we ever tackled this before? Have we stayed far away from it? Okay, no one comes to the Father except through me, right? So there's this sense of connectedness, but also um, that, that Jesus is the way to the Father. You can't just get to the Father, but you have to come through Jesus, right? And going to our, our comment from earlier, right, there's also this sense of the interconnectedness of the Trinity that you, we, we have faith because the Spirit calls us in faith. So... Jesus talking then, saying, you can't come to the Father but through me. Well, but also the, the theology of the church and the, the witness of Scripture says the Spirit is the one who draws us to Jesus. So you can't come to Jesus without the Spirit. You can't come to the Father without Jesus. So it's this, it's this, um, this whole pathway is laid out for us. The Spirit calls us to Jesus who then leads us to the Father. Yeah? Great. Anyone else? Yeah. understand, we just skip over it. Right. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Sue. I was interested. The rabbi talked about not the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And that seems to be a significant difference. Is there some way we can explain that? I mean, the Holy Spirit. The Spirit was there. Are we talking about the Holy Spirit that's different from the Spirit from the Old Testament or in the Pentecostal Holy Spirit? Sure, yeah, great question. Uh, the Spirit in Jewish tradition would be kind of the, uh, an emanation from God, right? That, that there is God in heaven, but some part of God, some peace Spirit of God is extending into the world for creation and that sort of thing. Um, but there's not a person, it, it is not a uh, the Spirit is not a person in Jewish tradition, of course. Uh, it's, it's an extension of God, God's self. Um, and so in, yeah, in Christian theology, as we'll see here in a moment, there was this extension that, well, of course we believe in one God, but wait a second, Jesus is also God, and he's praying to God and then he's saying, when I go, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you this power that, that the Spirit, who's also a per something's going on, right? So there's this progression of thought beyond. And so, of course, yeah, Jewish interpretation of what we call the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, they don't read it the same way we do. They can't um, because they haven't had that same paradigm shift that we have with the advent of Jesus. Yeah. Relationship. Yeah, relationship is key. Yeah. Is that a hand, Pam? No, that was oh, okay. Okay. That was a niche. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So, and they're also all eternal and being part of the eternal God. And so if we believe that Jesus is also the word, that there is more than Jesus being purely the physical son as we know it, um, or know him to be. And so there's something even transcendent beyond these very finite terms that we have for 
the Trinity. Right. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's a, that's a good thing to be reminding everyone of um, from the onset is that language fails us because these are bigger concepts than we have language for, right? Speaking about God as Father and God as Son, do those capture really all that the relationship is? No. That's as, that's as deep and rich a relationship as we've got in a family relationship, father, son, right? We can't, in, in male relationships, we, we can't talk about anything else that's, um, that captures the richness of that when talking about God the Father and God the Son. But is that all that is? No. Um, we've talked about before, I'm trying to remember when I last talked about this, we talked about accommodation, that God uses language, like, like when I explain things to Theo or Neva, I can't give them the whole answer. I have to say, how are you going to understand this? Let me try my best. Here it is. And is that answer completely correct? Would I give you that same answer? No. Because you would say, well, you would poke holes in what I just said very quickly. But for a child, that accommodation is necessary. And so God, in revealing God's self, right? We talked about revelation. That's what it was. Um, in rev- uh, revealing God's self, he had to accommodate, say things in such a way that we could actually grasp them in one lifetime. Um, the God who is eternal, which even the, the concept of eternal, I, I don't get that. Do you actually get that? I don't. I can't figure that out. I could spend my whole lifetime trying to wrap my head around it and say, oh yeah, I get it. I don't get it. We can't. Even that singular concept. The Trinity is even bigger than that, right? So um, I want to look at the rest of the page here, our outline for the class. Um, our general progression, coming back to this chart, middle of the page, um, will work, we'll, we'll uh, take it in bite-sized pieces, but very quickly and broadly. In the ancient world, uh, there was po- polytheism reigned, right? You didn't think that there was just one God, um, that was ludicrous. Of course, there was one God for the sun, one God for the rain, one God for the harvest, one for the winter, all these different gods, God of death. And so the pantheon of gods, that's what made sense to everyone. And here come um, these people, the Jewish people, who say, mm, there may be lots of gods out there, but I worship one God. They're not saying there aren't other gods. At the very beginning, in the earliest um, strata, uh, stratum of, of, of the Hebrew Bible, we see um, the Lord is above all other gods. Well, wait a second. There aren't other gods. What's going on? That's because in that earliest time period, uh, the Jewish nation, as they were coming together and forming their identity, they went from polytheism, all gods can be worshipped, and uh, sacrifice to to something called monolatry. Monolatry being, we think there are probably lots of gods. We are only going to worship one. From that, then we get to monotheism. That's Judaism as we most know it. And that is, there is one God whom we worship. There are no other gods anywhere. There's just one. From that, in the New Testament times, we just alluded to a few moments ago, we start to realize in this relationship that something's changed, right? Yeah, there's just one God, but Jesus is God, and Jesus is praying to God, and something has changed here, and there's this paradigm shift from simple monotheism to 
this this strange thing that we don't even uh, affirm to, we we wouldn't even say is enough today binitarianism that there is a binity that God the Father God the Son are united that those are the ones that we worship those two two and one but that's not quite enough that's not the end of the story right so then there's a further progression to trinity trinitarianism so um let's turn the page So I've already kind of gone through those first two bullet points. Um, but the third bullet point, this is the central credo of Judaism, is the Shema. So Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So this is the central creed. What is our central creed? If we had to say, in, in five words or less, what is the Christian creed? Jesus is Lord. Okay, if the, um, it, you, you met a Jewish person on the street and said, what is your central creed? In five-ish words or less, I think there's maybe seven there, um, they would say, Shema Yisrael Adonai Elohim Adonai Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Um, and this is so central to the Jewish understanding of who God is. God is just one. Not two, not ten. God is singular. God is unified. God is one. That the hope, and this goes back to uh, a story of, uh, of a Jewish martyr, but the hope um, in, a, in a Jewish faith is that the very first thing you hear coming into the world are these words. That when your child is born and you are of Jewish faith, the first thing you whisper into their ear Shema Israel Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad. And the very last thing that a good Jew hopes to hear or speak upon their death, this very phrase. So that it is their central creed. From life to death, this is it. Okay. We even hear this in the New Testament, right? Um, the same creedal affirmation appears in the Gospels. Mark 12 um, when the scribes ask, which commandment is the first of all, Jesus answers, well, of course, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Wait a second. This is Jesus. Jesus saying the Lord is one, but we know that the, this is that weird moment where something is changing. We don't quite understand what's happening, but, but we know Jesus is Lord. Jesus is more than just human. Jesus is God, but he's saying the Lord is one. How does this make sense? Um, then there are other passages there. Uh, Deuteronomy, Isaiah, 1 Timothy, both New and Old Testament, all throughout the ages that say there is one God. But then we get to um, the incarnation, right? This very season of our church calendar, we're in Advent, we're waiting for something, and we know in about four-ish weeks we'll get there. Uh, is it really December? Oh my goodness! Um, I just that just dawned on me this very moment. Um, we get to Matthew, where Matthew says, "Now the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, took place in this way: when his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she found she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit." Jumping down. 
Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Even if, I mean, Joseph, when he heard these words for the first time, he didn't have a fully developed understanding of Trinity. He probably thought, as we were talking about earlier, the Jewish understanding of the Spirit is this is some extension, some emanation from God. Um, And so even in that, there's something pretty powerful going on that Joseph is first understanding, wow, God God has put this baby in my fiance's womb. I better... I better uh, pay attention. Um, so it wasn't quite as full-fledged as when we read that, we say, oh, Holy Spirit, that's not God the Father. But how did Joseph originally understand that? He didn't have that full-fledged Trinitarian understanding, right? Uh, and then the very end there, look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. They shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. So... Again, from the very beginning, here we have Jesus being born, Holy Spirit or God's emanation, right, is involved in, in planting Jesus in uh, Mary's womb. And the virgin shall conceive, they shall name him God with us. Obviously, this is, uh, some of this is Matthew's own, um, you know, reflection upon this, right? Um, he is saying here, God is with us. Um, then over in Luke, right, we have, he will be great, will be called the son of the most high. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the most high will overshadow you and the child to be born to you will be holy, called the son of God. Okay. So there's this sense, again, that there's this sense that there's some special, Jesus is special, Right? He's not just human. He's also God with us. Some representative of God, that doesn't work. Some messenger of God, that's not quite right. A prophet? Mm. The Messiah? Yeah, but there's something more, right? We often understand Messiah to be Jesus equals Messiah. Messiah was in the old, uh, in the Hebrew world, the Jewish world, excuse me, it was a term for someone who was just anointed, right? Saul was a Messiah. Because he was an anointed uh, king, right? So was David. He was an anointed king. He was a Mashiach. Anyone who is anointed is a Messiah. Because that's all Messiah means, is anointed one. But it takes on a special meaning that it is a special chosen one sent from God to do certain things in the world. Before Jesus, the idea that the Messiah was also divine, that was not a thing. That did not exist at all. It was, oh, the Messiah's coming. He's just human, but he will do special things. He will be, maybe there's one, maybe there's two. Some ancient traditions say there's even four Messiahs, um, right? It's all over the place. But then they, all of these traditions kind of become unified and codified into Jesus. But it's more than, he's more than just a Messiah. He's the Messiah. And more than that, he's also God, right? So, um, Jesus Christ, by the way, Christ is the Greek word for Messiah. So it's not a name, it is a title. Just saying, Jesus, the anointed one, the one whom we have waited for, but he's even more than we ever expected, right? Um, 
Yeah, I've got some quotes down there, but I'll leave them. I, I like this little chart in the middle of three. It is not helpful and very helpful. It is, this is the weirdness of the Trinity, right? Is it, again, it's this pendulum swinging all the time that look on the outside of the, um, the triangle. The Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Spirit. And the Spirit is not the Father. Okay. The Father is God. The Son is God. The Holy Spirit is God. Oh, just a second. What? Again, this is that there is unity. All three are one God, but they are not the same. The Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Spirit. The Spirit is not the Father. Doesn't it look like, is it that um, flux capacitor? Isn't that what this looks like from Back to the Future? Something like that. Anyhow. Maybe that's just me. Okay. So Jesus has come in the middle of page four. I'm, I'm kind of jumping ahead here. Middle of four um, in John 1, 18. No one has ever seen God. It is God, the only son who is close to the father's heart, who has made him known. Right? So Jesus is coming, what? To make God the Father known. No one comes to the Father but through me. Um, then the whole next section, uh, I'm, I'm jumping around, and I hope you'll, you'll excuse my jumping, because there's a lot here. We could really, I actually taught, so I should back up, to say that when I taught this class a few years back at my last church, it was a six-week course two hours every Wednesday night. So I have 12, 12 hours worth of material plus some new stuff um, to fit into two hours. So if you want to know more, it's all there. Keep reading. And I actually have even more than I, I printed out for you here. I've got another 20 pages I didn't even include today. So question. Well, of course, you always can do questions. say that this these kinds of statements um that we have in john 1 18 um are a way of saying that no one could truly know god until jesus was incarnate and walked among us do you have another way of interpreting that or would you agree with that that we can't fully know god without jesus well i'm worried well so i i think that God would, that people could know God before Jesus walked among people. So is there, is, are there other, are there other interpretations of this passage? Or do you think the way to get that is that the only way for anyone to know God is through Jesus? Michael, while you're, while you're contemplating. (laughs) So what was the burning bush? It was God's way of revealing himself to man, saying, you can't look at me, you can't comprehend me. But we saw the back of God after, afterwards, right? But then we see Jesus coming forward. So maybe God's just too big, and this is God's way of revealing himself to us. It's one more relationship between God and man. And maybe that's part of your question, part of the answer. Um, God, God tells us we can't comprehend. Yeah. We're not capable. So what do we get? We get a bush, we get the back <laughs> of God, and then we get Jesus. I mean, I think there's a progression here. And this is a pattern and a principle that God is revealing himself to us. 
And for now, if we could comprehend Jesus, maybe mm. that's all God figures we can handle. Mm. I think it's a, yeah, I think it's, Dan, you beat me to the punch I, punchline here. I think it is a partial revelation. I think that, um, you know, we... We have to accept the fact that we're looking in the mirror and we're only going to know and see partially. Yeah. There is that time. That's our hope. Even now. Even it, now we it, only yeah. see in and part. If we, if we had it all now, if we were happy with all of our relationships now, if we were happy with our full mm-hmm. understanding of God now, what do we hope for? Mm-hmm. What is the kingdom to come? I mean, this is God's principle and the pattern mm-hmm. is he'll reveal himself. Yeah, I mean, I'm trying to be... I, especially because I preached in an interfaith service this week, I understand that we have to be sensitive to our brothers and sisters, our Jewish brothers and sisters, especially in this context, as we're talking about, um, you know, reading the, what we call the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible. How do we understand, is God most fully revealed in the Old Testament? No. Can God be known in those ways? Yeah, right? Um, People, generations of people lived and died, and this is all they knew. Was that enough? Yeah, that was enough. That was what they knew. That was how God chose to reveal God's self. Um, but in the advent of Jesus, to, to use, going back to the metaphor of, you know, we see through a, a, a what is it? Glass dimly, thank you. I almost said mirror, and then I was like, that's not right. Something, prison? Well, no, it's a glass dimly. Um, you know, there's almost a sense of, like, you know, Jesus came with the Windex to clear it up even more. It's still a little dim. It's still, the light's not quite on, but there's this sense of, here's a new clarity about who God is. And it's on the lips of Jesus that we know God is Father, right? It was um, Pannenberg who said that. That um, it is in coming to and hearing Jesus say, Father, that's how we know God. Um, and apart from that, there's just not that deep sense of the fatherhood of God in the Hebrew Bible. Until we know Jesus is our brother, Jesus is the son of God, Jesus is our brother, we can't really know God as father in such a deep and rich way until then. So that's a great question. Oh, yeah. Spirit was working with the prophets. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, Yeah, but but no. To your point that that, that um, even even in Old Testament times, right before the advent of Jesus, the, the Spirit was at work. Even before the day of Pentecost, right? Spirit wasn't just sitting watching soaps and eating Twinkies. No, the Spirit was still at work every day, and every in, in calling people to faith. Even in Old Testament times, right? Is that a question back there, Debbie? Oh, okay. Um, great. So. This is from Jesus' high priestly prayer, right? We talked before about Jesus praying to the Father. Kind of a strange thing when you think of just son and father, because yeah, I talk to my dad, but I don't pray to my dad. There's a, there's a distinction there. Uh, second to last paragraph down the underlined section. Um, As you, Father, are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us. Right? It's this, it's this invitation for others to join into their relationship, right? The Trinity is not exclusive to Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, right? The idea is that we are invited into this, 
this wonderful eternal relationship, we are invited to be a part. Jesus didn't say, you know, you're my slaves, you're my servants. No, he said, I now call you brothers. Well, if Jesus is the son, God is our father, we're right, invited to be a part of this mystical uh, union, this mystical relationship. Is there a question back there? Oh, it seemed like Jesus was saying, we have all this good stuff, but you folks are getting off and other, and you're missing the point that, yeah. to his fellow Jews. I mean, they had all these good things pointing to the relationship with God. And then he says, this is what you do. You focus on the relationship with God, not on all this stuff that's pointing to the relationship with God. Does that make sense? It seemed like they were getting off on laws and getting off on sure. rituals, which were pointing to what he was doing. He's right. saying, this is what we're about. This yeah. is what the rules and the laws were about. And perhaps, I mean, anyone can get um, myopic in their vision, the way they live right. out their faith, right? I don't want to, I, I think too often, it's, it's too easy as Christians to say the Pharisees were the worst because um, oh, yeah. it's easy. It preaches it's well too, uh, which is unfortunate. But the, the idea that these bad guys, these are the bad guys, right? We have to have some bad guys to have some good guys. Um, it, these, the Pharisees were God's chosen people trying to do the will of God and live faithful lives. Yeah. Were they myopic? Sure. But so are we, so are we. in our own ways right? Um, And I think what Jesus was trying to say was, he was trying to shake them out of their um, myopicness? No, there's a better word for that. It's not myopathy, that's for sure. I don't know. You know what I mean. We just get so compulsive as human beings about whatever we think is right and (laughs) and forget what it's about sometimes. Oh, sure. We all do. And I think that's what Jesus was saying. This is what it's about. Yeah. Not, this is what it's about, but also here's a, this, it's also a paradigm shift, yeah, right? It it's not just, you right. already know what you should be doing, but yeah, the you doing, know what you should be doing, and here's a little more. The um, doing versus the being. Oh, sure. Seems like. And that too. Um, I'm going to jump down to the bottom of four here. Um, talking, starting to lead into ver- to the scripture that points, start point, starts pointing us towards Trinitarian theology, Matthew 3. Um, we have the baptism, right? We know that the baptism scenes of Jesus all have uh, the, you know, the spirit of God descending like a dove, a voice from heaven speaking. This is my son, the beloved with whom I am well pleased. Uh, also in Matthew's gospel, the very end, the great commission, right? All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore making disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the name of the Son, the name of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, remembering I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Um, This is really central, not just to our faith and our life of faith and the sacraments, but also how we relate to other denominations. You may not know that for polity's sake, how we, uh, administration and for sake of the church, um, we do have relationships with other denominations where, you know, um, if, if someday the Lord calls me away from here, 
I could go serve at a, another denominational church while still maintaining and holding on to my denominational credentials. That's just, there's a few of them. There's three, or, there's three others. Um, UCC, RCA, and one other. I can't remember off the top of my head. The, by, the document that holds us all together, among the only things that it says in there, that how we do life together, what you must do in your life of faith, because we already know we're close enough in faith that we, we trust you to get the faith stuff right. But when you actually get to the practice, the one thing you have to do is baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Always. That's the thing you have to do. Some people want to say, well, let me baptize you in the name of Creator, Redeemer, Sustainer. They're trying to get away from the gendered language of God, which I understand. Um, I think an argument could be made for that. But Jesus says, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Creator, Redeemer, Sustainer, those are terms, those are actions. Those are verbs and ways of being by oneself. But these terms of Father, Son, and Spirit are more relational. And um, we, aren't being in, we aren't being baptized into an action. We're not being baptized into creation or redemption. We're being baptized into this beautiful triune relationship of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We're being invited into it. Um, okay, we're going to try. Yeah, we've got time. You've got more verses there. You can keep reading. But obviously we know there are other passages throughout the New Testament that start pointing us to Trinity. Uh, we hear about the Spirit. And I, I, should, I should add, we've talked about this before, but it's always worth uh, mentioning again, that of course the Hebrew Bible and the New Testament, uh, Hebrew and Greek, there's no such thing as a capital letter, right? In the ancient, most ancient of manuscripts, so the word, the word Lord, um, like we've talked about just a few weeks ago, right? In, in Acts, when um, Paul, Paul gets stopped on the road to Damascus and says, um, who are you, Lord? That word is kyrios. Like we just sing, we sing kyrie, right? Same word. Um, it, it doesn't, it's not capitalized. It's not lowercase. It's just what it is. It's always there on the page the same way. Um, it's an interpretive it's an interpretive leap to say, is, should it be capitalized or should it be lowercase? Same thing with the word spirit. Whenever we see the word spirit um, in, in the Hebrew, ruach, in the Greek, pneuma, um, should it be capitalized? Should it not be? So if I have a, a Hebrew Bible, if I have the Tanakh and I come across the word spirit, probably going to be lowercase. I would be very surprised if it were ever uppercase. But in the Christian Old Testament, we come across the word spirit, we might capitalize it now and again. Not all the time, but sometimes. So it's an interpretive decision. Just want us to be aware of that. Okay. So I want us to try a little thought experiment, if you will. Um, what would we do if tomorrow we learned that we were not alone in the universe? We get a call from Mars and they say, hey, we're your neighbors. We want to come and hang out. Uh, that's the best we can hope for, right? We, they would probably try to enslave us or something, I'm sure. It would be not fun to start. But it's not just like Star Trek. I wish it were. But if we learned that we were not alone in the universe, there were other sentient beings. 
how would we make sense of that? What would we do with our, with our understanding of creation? And how would we approach and come to terms with this paradigm shift? I want to give you just a minute or two to talk at tables. What would you do if you learned, not just in general, like, you know, I'm going to get a bunker and, you know. No, I want to know what, what you would do in faith if you learned that there were aliens out there somewhere. E.T. is calling, right? Um, what would you do? So, I'd ask them if oh. they understood the Trinity. <laughs> oh, yeah, maybe better than we do, yeah. Two minutes, go. Okay, so what did we figure out? What are we going to do? What are we going to do if we find out there are aliens tomorrow? What would you do in your life of faith? Ask God how we deal with them, okay? So you're going to pray. Okay, I guess. I mean, how do you ask God? Okay, great. Anybody else? Paul Spielberg. Let's see. Yeah, came up with E.T. There you go. There's a new video going around, by the way, that oh, E.T. came home, E.T. returned and met Elliot's kids. and It's, it's worth the four minutes of your life. Well, oh, great. Okay. Hey, come on in. Have some tea. Yeah. There you go. Okay. Maybe, maybe it would unite us, right? They're part of creation. But 
I want to come back. How do we make sense of it in life of faith? These are all great answers. I'm not saying these are wrong answers. They're all right. But well, if God created not just the earth, but the universe, uh-huh. then they are God's children and the mm. They are God's children. So did Jesus come for them? But wouldn't Ooh. we want to know who they worship? Oh. Right. Interesting. So Jesus came for them too. So how would you, if you're trying to build a case for that, where might you go? Okay, this is where I'm also going. Okay, so. Because we go from the Jews to the Gentiles, right? Right. And so there's that extension. And Jesus might not be in the same form that we know here because God can present himself in whatever way he wants to. Multiple incarnations? Is that where we're going? Potentially. Exciting. Okay. (laughs) I'm open to that. You're into that? Um, No, I'm open to that possibility. Open to the possibility of multiple incarnations. I love it. I'm open to. Sure. So, what? I was going to say we have examples in the Bible of God being incarnate many times. We have the three strangers coming and visiting oh, sure. um, Abraham and Sarah, and they go back and forth between saying the three strangers are saying God, you know. So we have examples that are pretty explicit, saying that this is that Jesus is not the only time that God walked among us. Mm-hmm. Right, God walked in the garden. Right, Genesis yes. two, all those things. Um, but so. These are exactly the sorts of things that we would do if we had a paradigm shift, right? We, we understand God in earthly terms. But then if we are told, whoa, there's a whole universe filled with other sentient beings, now we have to come to terms with faith, Christian faith, in terms of the universe, right? There's a change. My point is with this thought experiment is there is a paradigm shift. So what do you do? You fall back. You fall back, you retreat, and you say, whoa, I don't know how to handle this. Where do I go? That same thing happened when Jesus came on the scene, right? Um, we, we're, because it's a communion Sunday, we say the Nicene Creed today. And there's that line, um, on the third day he rose again in accordance with scriptures. What scriptures? Which? Oh, I, uh, I mean, yeah, probably. <laughs> probably by the time of Nicaea, they were saying the, all scriptures is that scriptures, right? But, um, <laughs> um, but the, the earliest church, they didn't have the Gospels, right? This is the day after the ascension, and everyone's like, oh, they're finally getting a chance to breathe and be like, what just happened? It's like the aliens came and just left. And you're like, what do I do now? How do I make sense of this? Like, we've got to figure it out. We've got no new manual, right? We have no new scripture to help us figure it out. We have to fall back to what we already know. So, what the earliest church did is they went to their holy scriptures. And they said, if... This is really, truly still our Holy Scripture. 
And now Jesus has come as God in the flesh, has died, been resurrected, and now has ascended to the Father whom he, to whom he prays. And how, what do we do with this? So what they did, this the earliest church, before they had the New Testament even uh, written down, and they started going back to the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, and they started trying to figure out if they could see Jesus being hinted at. Now, I'll be honest, for a long time, in my seminary deconstruction days, I was like, come on, this is they're really reading into the text. There was obviously a meaning back in the Old Testament times. You know, Emmanuel, God with us, there was another reason for that text. And, uh, and I still think that there is another meaning to that text, the, the, right? The... the the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, has uh, truth and validity for the Jewish people who don't have a further revelation of Jesus. It still makes sense to them. They're not like, none of this makes sense. They've got it figured out, but this doesn't make sense to us. That's not what's going on. It makes sense to them. But there are still some things that don't make sense. And that's especially when you start to get in certain phrases, especially in the Psalms, but not just the Psalms, um, also Isaiah, where there is this weird sense of who's talking right now? And then this, someone's talking to someone else. Someone's talking to a group of people now. Someone's talking about someone, and now someone's talking to someone else again. Something is going on, and we just don't get it at all. The earliest, what modern scholars would do with that, I'm going to throw some of my modern scholar brothers and sisters under the bus here, they would say, oh, there's got to be something wrong with the text. I mean, it's been, you know, copied and recopied for 3,000 years. There's something wrong. The text is wrong. If you go back to the oldest manuscript, we can finally figure out what's right, but we don't have it. It, it, it died with the time. You know, it faded. It's gone. So we, we can't really know. So we have to accept it. Or they'll say, oh, these are different texts, and they're woven together, and da-da. No. The earliest church didn't do that. They said, here's a mystery and we just learned a whole new mystery. Jesus has come. So what they did is they um, they had this, uh, what is it called? This whole technique, I'm trying to look for a particular, there it is, person-centered reading strategy. How do I understand these texts? And what ultimately they did is they said, when, and it meets certain guidelines, it's not all the time. But what they say is in these conversations, and especially the Psalms and Isaiah, were God talking with Jesus and God talking with the Holy Spirit. And this isn't, this is actually in the New Testament too, right? Paul, the writer of Hebrews as well, they latched onto this kind of reading technique. And you are going to think I'm crazy that this is, this is the weirdest thing I've Three months ago, I, I had never heard of this. Um, prosopological exegesis. Whew, it's right there in the middle of page five. Um, <laughs> prosopological exegesis. Let me break this down for you. Whew, well, I'm not even going to write it down. Um, it's right there. Prosopon is the Greek word for face. Uh, logical, right, is word, right? Understanding the prosopa. Uh, so this is a 
a strategy of reading, and we can dig into this more. I actually want to scratch the surface of this and then jump over to the creeds and then back to this next week. Um, but when they started doing this, they, um, when they started reading the Hebrew Bible this way, they realized there's a lot that we already knew about God this and Jesus, and this is starting to make sense. So one of the examples here in Hebrews 2, I'm saying in Hebrews we hear this. Um, Hebrews 2, 11 and 12 um, says, For the one who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one Father. For this reason, Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters, saying, I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. Well, you notice that's in quotes. It's a quote because it comes from the Psalms. Well, Jesus wasn't alive during the time of the Psalms, was he? Well, he was, but he wasn't incarnate, right? So is this pre, pre-incarnate Jesus, which is a weird and hard thing to wrap your mind around and not even sure if that, that works, right? Um, Matthew Bates, the author of The Birth of the Trinity, which is quite a book, um, he he tries to stretch this out in, in a way to help us understand. And what he says is, this is Jesus speaking to God the Father. This is going back to the Psalms. I, Jesus, will proclaim your name, O my Father, to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise. Right? That's how, that's how the writer of Hebrews says has it. Jesus is speaking this. And not just repeating it. But this is reenacting it. Actually, this is, these are the words of Jesus that we had even before Jesus was incarnate. There's this whole sense, and there's a whole lot more there. I have about four minutes, and I'm actually going to jump ahead because I already wrote it on the board. So I got get to get, get to it, right? We're going to skip, 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 page 10. We'll come back to the rest of the stuff later because it's all good stuff. There's lots of good stuff. Um, I, would, I remember when I was a kid and I asked my grandma about the Trinity and she said, well, it's like God is three in one, right? That's an easy enough phrase, three in one. I was like, well, three what? She's like, okay, let me think, let me think. Well, it's like an egg. The Trinity's like an egg. You've got the, you've got the yolk, you've got the white, you've got the shell, three and one, it's all an egg. Okay, okay. Well, that, that worked when I was seven, right? And then I get to seminary, probably in the, one of the same classes that Catherine's taking right now, um, or maybe next semester, Systematic Theology by Edwin Vend- with Edwin Vendriel. No. no, yeah. Okay, okay, next year. And um, I found that all of my other friends in class also had grandmothers that they had talked to, and that I wasn't the only one who had heard this egg thing. And... Um, it, they, we all bring this to the professor, and the professor says, eh, those are heresies. That is a heretical idea. And the reason is, is because that idea is that you can't be both a shell and a white and a yolk at the same time. Or the, I also have heard the water one, right? Water is steam and liquid and gas, right? Or steam and liquid and, and ice, Um all three are water, and so uh, that's the Trinity. And ultimately, we've, I, 
I thought that was a pretty good, I thought that was even better than the egg one. Well, again, Dr. Van Driel said, eh, wrong. It's a heresy. It's the same kind of heresy. It's saying again, God is, well, essentially the idea is, uh, it's called modalism. We'll talk more about this next week. The idea is that I, I put on a mask right now, and right now I'm ice, and I'm going to put on a different mask, and I'm going to be steam, and I'm going to be liquid water, but I can't be all three at one time. And that's, that's the hard, hard part about this pendulum swing in the Trinity. How is God three and one? And if we're really holding this intention, we have to agree that, and as the early church does, and we stand in the line, long line of orthodoxy saying that there is this sense that, that they are all distinct and all unified. And so those ideas of ice, the, the H2O one, doesn't quite fit it. I want to come, and, and what the early church said is that, yeah, God's three in one, but three what in one what? They wanted to push it a little further, and they said that God is one, uh, God is three persons in one essence. And in the Greek, um, they said, mia usia tres hypostases. So it is one usia, one essence, and three hypostases, or people, ultimately, is what we can understand that to be. And the reason I have this down here is because this is, you know, it's, oh, it's just, you know, an iota. It's not an iota of a difference. It doesn't make a big difference. Well, here, one little iota, one little I makes a big difference because uh, homo, meaning the same, homoi, meaning similar, but not the same. Um, in the earliest church, they said that God is made up, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, they're all made up of the same stuff. They're all the same at the core, but they're three beings. Three beings, but one, right? This is how they explained the pendulum swing. But there were some who came along and said, oh, no, 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 it's not the same. That doesn't make sense at all. It can't be the same. It has to be similar, right? Just like you're a person and I'm a person, we're made of the similar stuff, but we're not the same. They tried to explain the Trinity that way. And so, um, this homo, the reason I have this is they would say homoousia or homoiousia, right? This is St. Nicholas, you look up a story about this with St. Nicholas, right? He actually um, got into a little bit of a fight with someone, came to fisticuffs, um, over this very topic, right? One iota meant that you understood God so very differently. We have different fights today, right? In the church, we don't talk about this stuff. But in the third, fourth century, this was pretty much their bread and butter. So we have a lot more to uh, talk about next week. Bring your questions. You've already got the packet. Feel free to start digesting it. Um, there's more that's not on the page that we'll talk about. Um, when it comes to the creed today, I encourage you to um, really focus, when we have communion later, really focus on the words that relate to Trinity here. What's, what jumps out to you? Right? Uh, before we, so one more week of Trinity next week. 
I know it's only one week. It's going to be fast. Um, and then theodicy for two weeks. Why do bad things happen to good people? So really, really easy topics. <laughs> um, let's go to God in prayer. Gracious God, we give you thanks for the gift of this precious time where we can come completely unknowing, approaching the mystery of your holy trinity. We thank you for your progressive revelation to us. We thank you that you sent your son Jesus to be one of us and to make yourself known to us. And that when he was ascended back into heaven, that you sent your Holy Spirit to be with us, to inspire us, to encourage us, to draw us close to you. We thank you, Lord, that you are with us even now. May you continue to be with us all our days. In the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.